He can make rivers in the desert. He moves in mysterious ways. And those of you who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good have experienced just the testimony of that song. The very first words recorded out of the mouth of our Savior, the earliest words we have, came from the writing of Mark in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus said these words, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. He was saying the kingdom of God is near. What a powerful statement from Jesus. The kingdom of God is near. He literally began all of his ministry by announcing the kingdom of God. Those are the first words recorded. The the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. Let's look there, or think about this with me. We'll put it on the screen. And I want you to see the time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. I want to invite your attention to Mark chapter 4. Those words came from Mark chapter 1. But a little later in Mark's gospel, when we get to Mark chapter 4, Jesus begins to speak in parables. And as he does, he talks about what the kingdom of God is like. He talks about what the kingdom of God, it it, it looks like manifest here on earth. So as you open your Bibles to Mark 4 and we explore together this notion of the kingdom of God, it would be helpful for us perhaps to define the kingdom of God. After all, Jesus said... Uh, to seek first the kingdom of God over a hundred times referenced in over half the books of the New Testament this theme of the kingdom of God comes up so if Jesus himself said seek it first we better know what it is we better have an understanding and Jesus very first words are the kingdom is near perhaps it would do us all well today to spend a little time thinking about this subject the kingdom of God. I want you to jot this down. We're going to put it on the screen. If I were to define the kingdom of God, I would say it is defined this way. God's kingdom is the blessing of the rule or the reign of God. God's kingdom is the blessing of the rule or the reign of God. Everywhere God is submitted to and his reign and his rule extends, there is incredible blessing and that is a picture of the kingdom of of God. What did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Help me out with it. Your kingdom, your will be on as it is in. Let's all say that again together. Your all of it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What was Jesus telling them to pray for? When he told them to pray that, when he said your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You have to remember that God is sovereign over everything. God is sovereign over heaven. God is sovereign over the earth. God is in charge of even hell itself. He is in control. He is the king. There is no power that equals his. There is no power that rivals his. He is the sovereign Lord. He reigns. He rules forever and ever. And if that is the backdrop of such a prayer, we need to understand a unique distinction where we see in heaven and in earth his reign and how it is responded to. You see, in heaven, God's rule is recognized. I want you to see this with me. Put it on the screen if you will. God's rule is recognized in heaven. Well, how do we see God's rule in hell? 
Well, let me, let me just go tack on to that. If it's recognized in heaven, then that's why heaven is full of his blessings. In hell, we see the rule or the reign of God rejected. We see his reign rejected. It's recognized in heaven, and because of that, the blessing of God is in heaven. In hell, it is rejected, and because of that, we see the judgment of God in hell. Now, on earth, there's kind of a unique mixture. What I want you to see is that on earth, it's both received and rejected. There are many people in this room that walked into this place fully submitted to God's rule and authority. You recognize God is in charge. You recognize He is your sovereign Lord. You long to live for Him, and you live under and experience the blessing of the kingdom. You see, the kingdom is simply the blessing of the ruler, the reign of God. And so when Jesus said, I want you as my disciples to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, what he was saying is, God, I, I want, he was telling us to pray, God, I want this earth to look a lot more like heaven than it does hell. I, I want there to be a greater recognition, not a, a lesser recognition of your sovereignty. God, I want you to be honored and glorified, and we want to experience the blessing of submitting to your reign right here on earth. You see, in heaven his rule is recognized, in hell it's rejected, and on earth there's a mixture, and that's why on earth we see kind of a uniqueness. We see by its very nature, our world bears both the image of God's judgment and God's blessing. So when we pray that way, we're praying, Lord, may we be more surrendered to you. Let this earth bear more of the marks of blessing under your rule. Kind of interesting to me. When Jesus started in Mark chapter 1 with that announcement, that pronouncement, the kingdom is near. So it was. You see, heaven had come to earth. Jesus had left heaven and come and appeared on the scene. And so when he said, the kingdom is near, all of those that were around who had eyes to see and ears to hear recognized this is of God. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one sent. And as Jesus came, the the blessings of the kingdom started. Sick people were healed. Demons were cast out. Ordinary people began to follow Jesus. Sins were forgiven. We read that this morning in our, our Sunday school lesson. Jesus would speak to a woman and he would say to her, Your sins are forgiven. That is a blessing of the kingdom of God. If we're rejecting his rule, then our sins can't be forgiven. So Jesus said the kingdom is near and all of a sudden we began to see it. Powerful things happen. Troubled people set free. Visible, tangible signs of the kingdom. And yet we see something else. If we were to read through the book of Mark from uh, chapter 1 to our text today in chapter 4, we would see hatred and rejection begin. In the hearts of the, the Pharisees, in the hearts of the Herodians, those pious ones, they even conspired to kill him. We are faced today with an obvious question, church, and I want you to answer this with me in your minds and in your hearts. How can the kingdom come if the king is rejected? I mean, that's a logical question for us to consider. How can the blessing of Christ's rule be experienced in a world that rejects that very king? So he tells them a parable. He speaks to them. I just want you to see the context. Jesus comes on the scene and says, the kingdom is at hand. And then 
we see all of the blessings of the kingdom begin to emerge. And then we see a rejection of the kingdom in the hearts and the lives of those self-righteous ones. And so Jesus tells them a parable. He tells them a unique parable in Mark chapter 4 about a sower that goes out and he scatters seed. And the seed falls on various types of soil and has various results. You perhaps are familiar with the story. If not, very simply, imagine if you will a farmer with a bag of seed. And he goes and he's scattering seed. He's throwing it out over acres and acres of fields. He continues to scatter seed. And that seed that is scattered, some lands on a pathway that's been trampled down. And because of that it does not take root and some of it is burned up and some of it is taken away by the birds and and uh, ultimately as he paints this picture some of it lands in good soil and it takes good root and it begins to grow fruit and it grows an incredible incredible crop and so in this parable he tells them that they know the secret of the kingdom it's kind of interesting he says you already know the secret of the kingdom and they say we, we don't fully understand so he begins to explain it to them and he tells them that the secret really comes in, in these parables because I don't want everybody to see it fully. I want them to embrace it by faith. Why does Jesus tell them a parable? Because from the beginning we've seen rejection and he wants to encourage those believers and he wants to encourage you and me to recognize that the kingdom of God is still at hand. That you and I can still experience the blessing of the kingdom. He is explaining to us today how the kingdom of God can come to Hattiesburg even though the king has been rejected over and over again in places like Hattiesburg. So this message for us really has great significance for all of us that are thinking about life and ministry and Christianity. How are we to see the harvest that God's looking for? What are the things that we should value? What are the things that you and I should pursue today in our own personal lives, in our families, and in this church? Today I want to discuss with you four themes, if I can, of the kingdom of God that come directly out of this very parable. Four themes of the kingdom, and I want you to begin to hopefully see some, some understanding and enlightenment as to what kind of lives we should live. I want you to see the seed, the sower, the soil, and ultimately the harvest, if you will. Turn with me. Hopefully you've gotten there by, by now to Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. This is the word of the Lord in our hearing. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and received it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as problems or uh, persecution for believing God's word comes. The seed that fell among them represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Let's pray together and ask for God to give to us understanding and application to this word. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
Would you speak to our hearts through the application of the Holy Spirit, illuminating your word. Thank you for the word of God and for its place in our life. This living, active, enduring word that has been protected and preserved so that it might be for us living seed that would implant in our hearts and bring forth life. Speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see that the seed is the word of God. Jesus said that clearly. He said that the soil is various kinds of people. So I don't want you to lose the simplicity. This is a parable about people and the word of God. It's a parable about the word of God and its impact in the hearts and the lives of people. Jesus makes that very clear. He simply tells them this story, this unique story about this farmer sowing seed. And he goes out and the seed is the word of God. I want you to write this down. The next statement I want you to see. Life under the blessing of God's rule, so that's kingdom, right? That's what we've just defined it as, will come through the ministry and the reception of the word of God. If you want to be a kingdom person, if you want to be a kingdom family, if we want to be a kingdom church, it will happen by the trans, just the absolutely transformational power of the ministry of the Word of God, the receiving of the Word of God. If you want your family to look like heaven and not hell, if you want your family to look like the blessings of God's rule over your life, then the Word of God better be a part of your family. I want you to see this. How can the church see blessing? How can the family see the blessing and the rule of Christ in our lives? Well, firstly, I want you to see it's by the seed, the Word of God. It's by the seed. It's living seed. It's life-producing seed. Don't miss this. It's not informational. It's transformational. Jesus Christ didn't say you need to learn some new information and make a choice on your own. No. He said you need the life-giving Word of God implanted in your heart. You need God's Word. You need that to be involved in the kingdom. Peter said it this way. He said you were born again through the living and enduring Word of God. In fact, let me share that with you. 1 Peter chapter 1. For you have been born again. Let's read this one together. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last how long? Forever. Why? Because it comes from the eternal, living Word of God. Peter says that the enduring Word is that which implants life into our hearts. That it is a living seed and it brings to us not just information. You got saved because someone shared with you the truth of the Word of God. We would have no other hope for salvation yet that God had spoken life. And isn't it so appropriate that God would use this analogy and this picture of His Word? For God spoke everything into existence that exists, and He breathed life into man as He formed and fashioned man. It is the breath of God, the Spirit of God, infusing the Word of God that brings new life into a church, into a family, into an individual heart. And if you today would listen to the Word of God, if you would heed it, you can be brought from death unto life. This powerful picture, you receive life. The Word will produce a, a harvest. You need to understand something, though, this morning. And I need to understand something as your pastor. We need to be real careful about what kind of seed we're sowing. 
You see, it depends on what kind of harvest you want to get. Those of you that grew up on or near a farm or those of you that are, are agricultural in any nature, I can kill plastic plants. I have a brown thumb. I cannot at all grow anything. I do not have a green thumb. But I do know enough about it to know this, that if I want to, a crop of watermelons, I better not plant apple seeds. Because the seed shows in the harvest. Would you agree with that? So here's the question. And a lot of pastors need to wrestle with this. What kind of harvest are we looking for? Are we looking to fill this room up? Are we just looking for big crowds? Because there are seeds that will do that. We can put together methodologies and music and messages that will lead to a place where we could fill this place up. Is that the goal? I don't think so. Jesus didn't say you pray that God would give bumper crowds in church. He said you pray that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. Now I'm not trying to excuse anything and say we shouldn't try to reach people. Absolutely we should. But what kind of people are we trying to reach? I believe that the desire of the Father is for us to reach kingdom people. It's to lead people to the Lord, to the life-giving Word of God that would implant in them a great harvest would come of those people who are living under the blessing of the reign and rule of God. And, and I want you to see that's my desire as your pastor. I, I'm not trying to be flashy or, or hip or cool or, or, or we're not trying to, to put together something that would just draw crowds that might fade. I don't even want to manufacture movement. I'm not just desiring people would walk down the aisle and make decisions that may or may not last. I want families and individuals who are submitted to the Word of God and experience His blessing over their lives. And you should want that too, by the way. I pray that that's a common goal for all of us. You see, we better make sure that we choose our seed carefully. You know, in the business of selecting the right seed, we have to ask that question, what kind of harvest are we looking for? A kingdom harvest, and I'll say it again and we'll put it on the screen. It's a harvest of lives living under the blessing of God's rule and His reign. And Jesus said that that seed is the Word of God. And Jesus also points us to a place where he would tell us that no other seed will bring that kind of harvest. That seed that produced this harvest in every generation, Brother Wes, in every culture around the world. And you and I can have absolute confidence, church, that all the discussions about what it takes to reach this next generation, the Word of God is the thing that will reach their hearts. It's not about fancier music. It's not about cooler buildings or newer buildings. It's not just about planting new methods of churches. It's not about all those things. It's about the Word of God because the Word of God is the seed that changes hearts and changes lives and changes culture and changes eternity. It's the Word of God. So we don't need to talk about all these methodologies and strategies and tools. That's why sowing the seed must be, must be the central point of every ministry that we as a church have. The Word of God must be central. And that's why I keep saying to you, Bible intake is critical. That's why we have encouraged you to read the Bible chronologically this year. That, that's why it's a, a long-paced Race, it's not a sprint but a marathon. Invest time in learning the Bible and working through it. That's why we've begged you to join us on this journey. You see, worship is all about singing and praying and preaching around the Word of God. 
It ought to permeate every aspect of what we do. We need to hear the Word of God and read the Word of God and listen to the Word of God and meditate on the Word of God and memorize the Word of God. And we need to apply the Word of God to every situation. You don't need to listen to your friends on Facebook for godly guiding advice. You need to listen to God's Word. You don't need to listen to the latest news cycle to figure out a filter for the way that you'll interpret life. You need to see what does God say. And when we let the Word of God become for us that seed that gives life to our lives and to our hearts and to our ministry, it will change everything. The Word of God is the seed. Can I just go on and continue to say this? Not only from this pulpit and this platform do we want the Word of God. Not only do we want it infused into our homes. I want small groups in our church Sunday school classes and otherwise who are Velcroed to the Word of God. I want them gathering around tables and in circles sitting knee to knee with open minds and open hearts. But more importantly with open Bibles. We don't need to sit in small groups and and discuss philosophy or psychology. We don't need to just have touchy-feely times of kumbaya. We need to say, what does the Lord say for my family? What does the Lord say for my job? What does the Lord say for me as a student trying to make my way in a world of confusion and chaos? Jesus is telling us about the living power of the seed, and it will guide every aspect of your life. So we've looked at the seed. Now for a moment, let's consider number two, the sower. Let's ponder the life of the sower. If you've ever shared the Word of God, in fact, let me ask, how many of you have ever taught a Sunday school class? Don't be so tentative. I'm not asking you to volunteer now. I'm saying, have you ever done it before? How many of you have ever taught vacation Bible school? How many of you have ever kept the nursery and in some way in the nursery you shared the Word of God, you used the Word of God? How many of you have ever preached the sermon? Anybody? We've got several of you that have preached. If you've ever shared the, shared the Word of God, then you can identify in some way your life will resonate with this sower. Imagine with me, if you will, the sower in Jesus' day. He has a heavy bag of seed and he goes out and he has acres and acres to sow. Let's imagine that he sows for 10 or 12 hours during the day. He starts early in the morning and he walks perhaps 20 miles. Maybe in a single day, he's scattering seed everywhere. And his arm feels like concrete. I would imagine that over the course of time, this arm is much bigger than this arm because he's scattering seed. He's got a tricep to die for. I mean, he if he's going to put it on Instagram, he's taking that shot right there because that arm is sun's out, gun's out big. And his legs are on fire because he's walked 20 miles that day, right? I mean, he gets to the end of the day and he is absolutely spent. He is absolutely worn out. He is dripping wet with sweat. And he looks back over all the fields that he's sown. And they look exactly like they did when he started. Not one thing has changed. I imagine there's a point where he'd want to wring his hands and throw the seed away and say, What's the point? Does it really make any difference anyway? The field looks just like it did before. Can I tell you, this shows something about the pressure of spiritual work. Can I be confessional for a moment as your pastor? 
Not one person answered me. Well, I guess not. We'll just move on. Can, can I be confessional for a moment? I envy some of your jobs at times. Because you finish and there's something to show for. Maybe you work in construction. At the end of the day, you look and you go, there's something to beautifully measurable. There's something there that wasn't there before. There are days that I finish the day and I go, I didn't make a single widget today at the factory. I go, did I, did I get anything accomplished? It's spiritual work. It's like a man sowing seed over 20 acres and looking back and seeing nothing changing. There's something unbelievable about that. If you've ever engaged in communicating the word, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you, and I, I know some of you have preached or taught or, or led in our jail. Some of you have done home Bible studies. Some of you have led Bible school or otherwise. And when you finish, Satan whispered in your ear, what's the point? They don't care anyway. Nobody's listening to you. No, nobody really wants to hear what you have to say. Let me give you a profound theological illustration. Anybody remember the Beatles song, Eleanor Rigby? Some of you do. Some of you Google it later if you're too young to know. Eleanor Rigby lyric said this, Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. And then it went on and it said, Father McKenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. There's this sense that you work for spiritual growth and nothing happens. Nothing changes. Any person who's ever put any energy into sowing the word of God knows this feeling and understands the pressure. So here's my question. How does the sower sustain the ministry under that kind of pressure? It's the same big picture question. How does the kingdom come if we've rejected the king? How do you sustain ministry to your children and to your small group without giving up and saying, what's the point? You develop great, great confidence in the seed. You great, great confidence in the seed. You see, this sower is not driven to despair at all. This sower, at the end of the day, has a long-term perspective. He isn't disappointed that the field doesn't look different at the end of day one. He never expected it to. He just knows my job is to sow the seed because there's power in the seed. And the doctrine of Scripture ought to come to life for us this morning. If, if you walk away from today and say, what did the pastor talk about? He talked about the life-changing, life-giving, transformational power of the Word of God in our lives and in our families. Oh, that we could spend a little time thinking about the doctrine, not just what the Bible is, but the doctrine of Scripture teaches us what it does. Devotionally this week, I, I want to encourage you to read Psalm 19. Just go back and look at it. Let me just share a, a portion of that psalm. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right. And they bring joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Or it says light to the eyes. What is the word of God? Perfect, trustworthy, right, and clear. What does it do? It revives the soul and it makes wise the simple. And it brings joy and light and life. It's not just what it is, but what it does. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. And that's how sowers are sustained in their ministry. They have confidence in the Word of God. 
number three, I want you to think about the soils. I've already said this. These are different kinds of people. And the sower scattering seed and different results happen. If we were to read back over verse 15 and following, some fell on hard ground, some fell on shallow ground. Jesus is describing people that hear the word of God. Now sometimes we think about this as lost people. We put ourselves in the picture of being the sower and we say, you know, there's some that are going to accept and some reject. Hear me. He is talking about people who hear the word of God. We have a word for those kinds of people. They gather weekly to hear the word of God. We call them the congregation. So this parable is talking about you and me. It's about people that hear the word of God. You hear it. And so I want to ask, how is it received in your life? Let's, let's think about this for a moment. Jesus assesses the congregation and he says what's going on inside and outside, uh, what's going on, excuse me, on the inside of people who hear the word of God. Some people, Jesus said, are simply hard. They're hardened to it. Jesus is saying you never understand that the, whenever the word is given that it may go out to people who are hard. They're hard toward the seed of God's word. And I want to speak to that for a minute. You know, there are a lot of people that walked into here and they say, Pastor, you have no idea what I've been through. You're right. There are people that walked into here that came out of situations of abuse, neglect, rejection. Life has made you harden. But the real question is not, how did you get here? The question is, how do you get out of there? And if that's the question that you want answered this morning, well, I've got good news for you. Because the Word of God can take the hardest heart and soften it. That's what God said in the book of Ezekiel. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will remove that heart of stone and replace it. I will give you a brand new heart. There are people here that have experienced deep pain, shame, rejection. Hurt, neglect, abuse, God understands that and His desire is to change your life with the living seed of the Word of God. Maybe your heart is hardened. The path is hard because it's been trampled on. Some of you have been trampled on. I have this hard shell because I've been trampled on. Jesus can soften that. Some are hard, verse 16, some are shallow. It's interesting, it's smiling faces, but shallow spaces. There, there's no real room. The effect was temporary. They, they professed faith for a time, and then they abandoned it. There was joy and enthusiasm, and then they walked away. I, I would describe this person like cut flowers. Like cut flowers. They, they have the appearance of life and beauty, but we know what's going to happen. In just a few days, they're going to wither up decay and die they don't think deeply or feel deeply we, we live in a shallow culture and, and if we had time we could invest time thinking about how did we get here maybe it's social media and the dumbing down of everything maybe it's the skimming pace of life we go at such a breakneck pace that we don't have time to think deeply about anything but you know what this pandemic of shallow living really the question is not what causes it but the real question is, what can be done about it? And the answer is the same. What hope is there for those who have come to a place of drifting through life with a string of new beginnings and no death? Maybe that's you. Maybe you've just gone from one thing to the next to the next. 
and you've not found satisfaction, that's because the only seed that will change your life is the Word of God. Some people are preoccupied and the worries and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke out the word. That's exactly what's described here. Like ground covered with weeds, the seed is choked out. He identifies the weeds, wealth and worry and stuff. If your life is absolutely marked with, preoccupied with worry, the pursuit of wealth, the desire for other things, the more I ponder that, God's just speaking to us. He's reading our mail because everybody that I see seems to be wrapped up in this cycle. Some of us are hard. Some of us are shallow. Some of us are preoccupied. But some will be fruitful. And I'm thankful for this. The seed takes root and brings a glorious harvest of life under the blessings of the rule of God. So determine what kind of seed you are or what kind of soil, excuse me. Let me just ask you this. Today, are you joyfully submitting your life to the reign of God's rule, to the blessings of His rule? It was once there but not now, Pastor. Well, maybe, just maybe. You've concluded that you're hard or shallow or preoccupied. What can you do about it? The soil can't change its own condition. Only God can do that. So what hope is there for you? Pastor, what hope is there for me? I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. Let me just say this. You ready? Here's the solution. Thank God for the farmer. I'm not talking about me sowing seed from here. I'm talking about the fact that God in His infinite glory and wisdom has sown the seed of who He is. We would know nothing of what He's like without Him revealing Himself. Thank God today for the farmer that God has extended an invitation. Maybe, just maybe, the deepest ache of your heart today, you're you're resonating and you're saying, I'm right there. Pastor, I am so longing for something to bring satisfaction. Well, thank God for the farmer. Thank God that the field is not left to itself. The good news of the gospel is that God can break up the ground of your hardened, shallow, preoccupied life. He can tear out the weeds and he can plant the word of God in your heart and bring forth a harvest. You don't have the capacity to change your heart. Only God can. James Montgomery Boyce said this, The soil cannot change its nature. Only the divine gardener, the power of living Christ, operating by means of the Holy Spirit through the written word, changes lives. He gives life. That's the gardener. I know that our time is short and we need to conclude, but as we consider this idea of the seed and the sower and the various soils, let's look ultimately at the harvest. Let's look ultimately together at the harvest. What are we looking to to accomplish? Our work is sowing the seed. God's work is preparing and plowing the ground. And both are needed if we're going to experience power. God's people sowed the word and God's spirit plowed the ground. And when that happened, you and I need to recognize that the, the harvest came. We're mandated to sow the seed. And we can count on God to do what He will do. We need to sow. One more kind of note I studied this week. 
a guy named William Lane who wrote a commentary. He said that in Jesus' day, in that kind of Palestinian gardening, the plowing happened after the sowing. This is pretty cool. The sower would go out and scatter seed. And after they scattered seed, then they would come and they would plow. We plow and then plant seeds. They would scatter the seeds and then come through and prepare the ground and plow the soil and break up the stony ground and pull up the weeds. And as they did that, this is the beauty. The parable of the sower is faithful to the time of Jesus and it's faithful to the word of God. Here's why. You don't know exactly what field God is going to plow next week. So sow seeds at the doctor's office this week. Sow seeds at your school, on your campus, and maybe just maybe God's plowing and stirring in somebody's heart. You don't know what God plowed this week. God may be stirring in the heart of somebody and he brings you along with the seed. The only seed guaranteed not to bring harvest is the seed left in the bag. And stacked in the barn. Joe Gunter shared a word this morning that I I just read a devotional word that gripped me. Some of us think that we're supposed to share our faith. We're to share our lives. And if we would focus more on sharing our lives. You see our lives are impacted by the word of God. And we don't just share information. We share transformation. And when I invest myself in other people's lives and the Word of God has been invested in me, then that will make an eternal difference. I could browbeat this church from now till Jesus comes back and say, meet me at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night and we're going out witnessing. And there are five of you that would show up every single time. I could probably, we've got some men and women in this church that are so dedicated. I could say we're going to meet on Thursday night for waterboarding and some of you would show up. I mean, they'd say, okay, the pastor told me i got to be here. It's my turn. But I could browbeat and say, Tuesday night, come. And some would show up for the first one, and the numbers would dwindle. And we would say, what's the point? Because Satan would whisper in your ear, what's the point? Folks, if this kingdom is to come to Hattiesburg, it will happen because we're faithfully sowing the seed with confidence that it brings life. And that we don't have to choose which soil it goes into because God will do his part of plowing. Does that make sense? Yes or no? Does that make sense? As we conclude, as we bring this to a close, as we come to the end, you need to begin to understand this. You may share the word of God with your kids or with your small group or with someone at work or at school. You've spoken truth and you feel like the seed was falling on hard ground. I want you to know this. You don't know where God's plowing and he may be faithfully working in their hearts ahead of you or behind you. And the finest seed will not raise a harvest if it's piled in the barn. So it's time for us to move forward. You don't just dump it in one place. Pastor, if we'd just have a crusade, if we'd put a big tent out front, we could just dump seed all over the place. No, we share as we go. And the Bible says about the harvest, 30, 60, and 100 fold. I I do need to tell you this, that in Jesus' day, a 30 fold crop was a bumper crop. So he started at the max. He said, when you sow seed and the word of God moves, You may get a bumper crop, but in all likelihood, because of the power of the Word of God, it'll be double that or even triple that. It was beyond anything they could imagine. How can there be any hope today for people who are hard, for people who are shallow, for people who are preoccupied, 
in their hearts. How can there be hope of blessing of the kingdom of God when the world rejects the king? Jesus Christ will establish his kingdom. And he is establishing his kingdom. And I know that is true because I've read the end of the book. And the Bible says that there will be a multitude gathered around the throne from every tribe, from every tongue, from every people, from every race. How did they get there? They got there because the word of God was sown by the people of God and the spirit of God plowed the ground and the seed of God did its life transforming work and when it did, people were saved. Here's my plea to our church. Here's my plea to you as a father. If you're a dad in this room, share the word of God regularly with your family. I know it's in October, and we started in January reading chronologically. Pick up a chronological list and spend 15 minutes a day. At the end of your day, just gather your family around and read the Word of God together. It's that important. If you're a mom, teach your children the Word of God. If you're a student, share the Word of God with somebody else. But infuse your life with the Word of God. And when we do, we need to move toward our neighbors and the nations and the next generation with the Word of God. It'll make all the difference in the world. Pastor, you've prayed for years now for revival. You bet. And I'm sowing for a harvest. I'm preparing for rain. I'm asking God to do that which He alone can do. We're not trying to be flashy. We don't want to be a flash in the pan. We simply want to be faithful, sowing the Word of God, confidently knowing that that's what will change our lives. That's what will change our city. That's what will change the nations. And today, if you're lost, the Word of God is very, very pointed. It tells us that Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to. It tells us that Jesus took your place and paid your punishment so that you could be forgiven and free forever. And if that's the thing that God has planted into your heart today and you need to be saved, just receive it and let it take root and bring new life. You. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time. Lord, thank you for this word and for this parable. And thank you for this description of the kingdom. Oh, that we would live under the blessing of your rule in our church, in our community, and in our families. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a hymn of response. And as we sing this song, this is a time for you to simply respond to what God has spoken to you this very day. We have staff members here that would love to pray with you and encourage you in some way if that's the need of your life. If you need to give your heart to Jesus, if you need to trust Him, if you need to receive from Him that which He has paid for, would you simply today come and take one of these uh, prayer partners by the hand and allow them to speak life into your life as we sing.